Section 37 of The Golden Web by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book Two, Chapter 16 Passion. She came to him in a few moments, dressed in a fascinating negligee gown, came to him with a rustle of silk and a faint expression of surprise upon her upraised eyebrows. I did not expect you until this evening, she remarked. He nodded. I took the liberty of coming here to ask you a question. She smiled as she sat down upon the sofa. Oh, the paper is quite safe. How did you know what I came for? he asked, a little startled. My dear friend, she said, shrugging her shoulders, as I have decided that it is to my interest to link my future with yours, you cannot wonder that I have found such details as those. She pointed to an evening paper which he noticed now lying upon her writing-table, interesting. I have been trying to understand how matters stand. Tell me if I am right. It seems to me that so long as that document remains an imagined thing, so long as it is not produced or sworn to definitely, you are safe. The corporation is safe, answered Dean, and in a measure, I suppose I am. On the other hand, I shall be accused, naturally, of suppressing it, and probably of complicity in Sinclair's murder. There is Hefferon, you see, prepared to swear that Sinclair came to London with that paper in his possession. Sinclair is known to have come to my office. He has certainly been murdered, the paper cannot be found, and the corporation remains in possession of the mine. People will certainly put these things together. She nodded. It will be very bad indeed, she said slowly, for your reputation. It will, I'm afraid, said Dean, considerably lessen my social value as your husband. It seems to me, she replied, that money is so powerful. I dare say you'll be able to live it down. With your help, Dean remarked sarcastically, it seems to me very possible. By the by, he continued, with reference to that document, you must forgive me if I feel some slight uneasiness at times as to its safety. You need have none, she answered. It is in safe keeping. It is your own interests as well as mine you are guarding, he reminded her. I am perfectly aware of it, she answered. Since you are here, may I offer you some tea? Thanks, he said. I think not. By the by, do you care to go to the opera tonight? I have two stalls, and Melba is singing. A sudden light flashed over her face. It was as though the mask had been raised for a moment. Perhaps by contrast, her tone seemed colder than ever as she answered him. I should like to very much. Will you call for me? At half-past seven, he answered. We will have a little dinner somewhere first. You are sure, she asked, that you do not mind being seen out? It is all to my advantage, he answered. The men who are most talked about should never shrink from publicity. The people who have been told today that I am a bankrupt, a swindler, and a murderer, and that my ruin is only a matter of minutes, will hesitate if they see me with you in the stalls of the opera tonight. Nero fiddled, she reminded him. Nero was a hysterical person, he answered. My tendencies are towards the other extreme. Until half-past seven, then. Until half-past seven, she repeated. He bowed and left her, without even shaking hands. She stood quite still for a moment, 
looking at the door which he had closed behind him. Then she crossed the room slowly and lifted the vase with its solitary rose to her lips. A second later it lay dashed to pieces upon the floor, the flaming color was in her cheeks, her fists were clenched. I hate him, she declared to herself. I hate him now more than ever. Winifred talked more than usual at the short dinner which they had at the famous cafe close to the opera house. Dean, a little weary with the strain of the day, was at first irresponsive, but gradually he forgot himself in the interest of playing his new part. She was wearing a dress of black velvet, a rope of pearls which had been sent for her inspection only that afternoon, and pearl earrings concerning which she gravely asked his opinion. There was something a little un-English looking about her tonight, about the small delicate head with the masses of brown hair, the pale complexion, the deep eyes with their hidden depths, the pearls which fell so gracefully over her black gown. Many people knew him by sight and pointed him out to others, the man whom everyone was talking about, the man who was supposed to be shivering on the brink of social and financial ruin, whose very freedom from justice might be a matter of hours, sitting there with a girl who was unknown to all of them, yet, without a doubt, one of his own world. Some of them wondered that she should care to be seen about with him at such times. These, however, were mostly the men. The women, who saw him as usual, well-groomed, good-looking, debonair, only admired him the more for his courage. They had driven the few yards together to the opera house in silence. Nevertheless, Dean fancied that his companion seemed tonight a little more accessible. He was amazed to find how great an interest he was beginning to take in her moods, amazed to find himself taking every opportunity to touch her fingers, to speak covertly of the destined ending of their engagement. He fancied sometimes that her fingers rested more softly in his, that the chill aloofness of her demeanor had been more than once on the point of being raised. And yet, after all, it might only be fancy, he thought, as he followed her and the attendant along the corridor into their places. He was a fool to trouble himself about it. She was very likely what she had always seemed, a bloodless, indifferent creature, with a greed for jewels and fine clothes sprung up in her, a fungus growth, the evil result of her long years of servitude. Yet that night his convictions as to her coldness received something of a shock. It was the first night they had been to the opera together, and he had imagined that she would sit as she had sat through so many theaters, a slightly bored, slightly nonchalant, interested only to know who the people might be by whom they were surrounded, and in the play itself, if by chance, it was well acted and satisfactory. Tonight he realized that there were things which could move her, even if he himself had not the power. He saw her eyes flash with the glory of the music, and he saw them turn marvelously soft and tender as the white-robed Isolt sang to them with sobs in her throat, sobs which seemed to make that melody only more intense and sweeter. She seemed to respond to every note of the music. More than once he saw her quiver with excitement. By accident, her fingers touched his and rested there. He felt a thrill which amazed him. For the moment he, too, 
forgot that wretched maze of affairs in which he was plunged. The great passionate love story throbbed, too, in his heart and veins. The figures on the stage were, for a moment, dim. They existed only as types. In those few seconds he realized, for the first time in his life, the real meaning of this wonderful emotion with which the very air around them seemed charged. And almost at that moment of realization there came to him fiercely, insistently, the great question. Did she share it? Did she understand? Was it possible that such a passion could be born of itself without response or encouragement? He leaned forward and tried to see into her face. A great stillness reigned in that half-darkened opera house, a stillness except for the wonderful music which still flowed from those divine lips. He leaned forward until he could see her face, and his heart throbbed with the wonder of it. All the passion, all the intense mystery of a strenuous love were there in her glowing eyes, her half-parted lips. It was only a momentary glimpse he had. Then, as though conscious of his observation, she raised her fan. Their eyes had never met. He was left, after all, with a problem unsolved. Dean came down to earth again as the curtain fell. His companion drew a long, soft breath and leaned back in her seat. "'Don't you want to go out and smoke or something?' she asked calmly. "'I do not feel like talking at all. The music is wonderful.' He left her without a word. Only as he reached the end of his row and turned to walk up the sloping aisle, he glanced back once more. She had not moved. Her eyes were closed. She seemed, indeed, like a person exhausted with a strain of listening. He made his way out to the refreshment room, humming softly to himself. It was a mask, after all, which she wore. He understood suddenly the relief which had come to him. He understood that this engagement, which had seemed to him like a piece of half-contemptible bathos, had suddenly become the first and most desirable thing in his life. End of section 37